Okay, so hello, Alex. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for joining. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex is just finishing up her fourth year at Regent, going into her, her internship year, and so I thought it would be a good chance to get a kind of a an inside glimpse of what the fourth year and the Regent ID program looks like. And so, Alex, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so I got to Regent um, into their PsyD program because of my love for working with kids and wanting kids to get better after experiencing significant events in their childhood um, that were either adverse or traumatic. Um, so really wanting to help kids get better. Um, and that eventually led into me wanting to restore families to help keep families together and to keep kids um, out of the foster system if possible. Um, so I had started out initially in undergrad wanting to be like a medical doctor. Um, and then I found out I got really like queasy with anything that's <laughs> medical related. Um, and really since I was a kid, um, I feel like God laid it on my heart to work with kids and to um, help them get better. So that that's really what led me into coming to Regent mm. with an integrated religion piece um, with psychology um, in general. So yeah, that's where I'm at right. now. And then I'm currently an internship working with kids um, from ages zero to five. Oh, wow. That's such a very young age. Yeah, it is very young. So, is uh, You said you, you first became interested in working with children when you were a kid yourself? Mm-hmm. Do you remember yeah. what prompted that? So growing up in a very small community, um, everyone kind of knew everybody. And then based on whose family you were born into meant like who you became. Oh. Um, so, so there was little room for um, growth and exploration outside of what you were born into, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with that system that I was kind of, born into um I really just didn't like how it it felt like some kids were stuck in um in what they were born into and and it's just in a generational transmission of trauma so I just I started noticing that as um a kid and then based on my own experience as well um I just kind of integrated to the point where like that's just what was laid on my heart to to Uh help with yeah can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned interge- intergenerational transmission mm-hmm. of trauma. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what, what that is and, and maybe how it occurs? Yeah, so if we think about it, um, like with a child who, say, is born into a family where they have low SES, um, maybe a part of some marginalized group, um, they may domestic violence is taking place in the house where they're witnessing their parents fighting a lot. Maybe they're abused themselves. Um, and that child grows up knowing that, like that's the norm in their family. Mm. And then when that child gives birth and is now a parent, that's what they know to then cause to this child as well. So they resolve their strong emotions through like fighting. Um, So then more domestic violence occurs in this new family with new baby. 
and then that new baby is then impacted by um, that that trauma that is occurring. Um, so so it's the sense that it happens over time just because that's what the child was born into. Um, so so yeah, that's uh, if you're into infant mental health land, they call it ghosts in the nursery, um, meaning the ghosts of your past. So the people that um, in, inflicted that harm um, can, has really impacted them to where they're reliving those like ghosts in the nursery. Um, so, so that's kind of like the intergenerational transmission of trauma. Mm, wow. That's really, I, I remember um, hearing only, I think last year about how a lot of times those who were either, those who were abused become the abusers. And, and those who also were, yeah, those who were traumatized, maybe sexually or not, they also sometimes become the ones who sexually traumatize others. Yeah, and absolutely. I remember thinking just how, yeah, that, that was the first time I had heard of that. And then the whole intergenerational mm-hmm. transmission of trauma, um, I'm still learning about it, but that's, I read today about how it was something about, it was a psychoanalytic perspective, but um, it was something about how if we don't properly mourn our past and process and grieve it, then we'll continually relive the past, but in different experiences. And so that, yeah, that's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. And we see that in infant mental health, we don't like just work with the babies, right? So it's a lot of it's working with the parents and helping them do just that Mm. um, so that we can stop it where it's at instead of it continuing down Mm. the line. I actually, I went to orientation where I'm going to be doing practica soon. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, the psychologist there, his name is Dr. Van Balen, but he was saying that one of the best, if you, usually parents, they bring in their children. And if you're good with children and you work with them, then usually you, you can work from the ch- children to maybe the marriage and then individual. And yeah. so um, do you, is that something that you guys also, like, I know you work at the children's hospital, but then will you guys do referrals for maybe marital counseling or individual therapy for the parents? Yeah, we definitely do. So we actually don't necessarily just work with the child. There are times whenever the biological parent is like, they cannot be involved either for like a legal reason Mm -hmm. at that time or um, just transportation, stuff like that. So we might work with like a foster parent as well, um, just depending on the situation. But if it does seem like there's a concern that is almost like overriding the time with what we're supposed to be doing as a family and with the child, Mm -hmm. um, then we will refer to other people in um, the same medical center. Mm-hmm. Um, but but just for individual therapy mm-hmm. as well because that's vital to help the child and the family restore the parent also needs support mm, yeah mm-hmm. uh so zero to five what what kind of interventions can be done in that yeah so right um so i would say it's actually fairly psychoanalytic as well oh. um an approach right. as well as attachment um uh-huh. very integrated but 
it, it kind of depends on what the presenting concern is. For us, it's a lot of trauma. Um, I, I mean, that's what my track's kind of really about. So um, it's child and parent psychotherapy. Uh-huh. Uh, this is actually a, the name to one of the evidence-based treatments, so child-parent psychotherapy. Um, and it's where we do just integrated work with both the parent and the child where the patient isn't one or the other. The patient is the relationship between the two. Interesting. Um, so we kind of see them as a whole. Yeah. Um, and then really the ultimate goal is to get the um, parent to understand the child better through the trauma-informed lens mm. and to understand why they are behaving the way they are based on their experiences mm-hmm. um, and then to help them attach and bond more typically um, to really strengthen their relationships so that the trauma doesn't have to be the end all be all. Mm. Um, there's room for growth and restoration following. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, is um, how much of the trauma mm-hmm. in your have you seen? How much of the trauma and in, is inflicted by the parent that brings them in? Um. So, I I don't have like specific numbers or even oh. averages or anything because I did just start obviously, and yeah. I just know based on what I hear. Yeah. Um. But it seems like it's fairly often um a parent inflicted violence um either with the um mother and father violently fighting um or through um like corporal punishment that ends up being more like beating um versus just spanking on the bottom um so so there's a lot of that but then obviously we also have the more extreme physical abuse um sexual abuse and then we also see some of that just psychological abuse uh-huh. um but yeah i would say pretty often it, it is parent inflicted hmm. yeah you mentioned even parents arguing i another i was reading a case study and the parents came in for um marital therapy actually mm-hmm. and the the wife wanted to have another child and the husband didn't at the time and they had a i think a two or a three-year-old at, time, at the time and they became arguing so often that their the child that they did have um, began putting her hand in her diaper and then smearing the feces on the walls at home. And oh, wow. yeah. yeah, and so the therapist was, you know, clearly this child is distressed by what's going on at home. And mm-hmm. I think that before we talk more about having another child, we need to get this contained and situated. So that, I guess that could be a, I, I could see them bringing that child into um, someplace like where you're going to be and then everyone yeah. working together, right? Yeah. yeah, potentially. It seems like that child's having a lot of strong emotions and doesn't have the coping strategies in order to help regulate. Mm. Um, and that's typically where a parent can really come and step in and be like the hero in some sense to help uh. them regulate. And when that parent just doesn't really understand their child in that certain way, um, not that that's saying anything bad about the parent, it's just children regulate in different ways mm. so we, it's our job to kind of help the parents figure out what ways those are so mm. can yeah, you definitely. can working with a parent can you teach coping skills to someone under five yeah yeah absolutely even our infants like 
um, six months, seven months old, wow. um, we can teach them to really, and it, it, it's not through what we typically think of like coping skills, like taking deep breaths, um, but it's comforting baby, holding baby close to them, um, bouncing them slightly, giving them a soft toy that um, they can touch or like just feel on their skin um so so those things that maybe might feel natural to to you or a parent Uh um but but sometimes they just aren't natural with some parents Mm. Um, yeah i think that was one of my biggest blind spots when i first started learning about coping skills and how to Mm. teach them was Mm. that to me a lot of this stuff sounds like things that i just naturally did or grew up learning about and and so I had to take a moment and think some people don't know that know to go right. to this. They don't know that it works or they've never taken the time to test it out. Yeah. And I think exactly. that was one of my bigger blind spots was yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. probably had the, the same thing. Okay. Um so can you kind of tell us a little bit about you just finished up your fourth year? Um what did what did your fourth year look like? Uh, as a Regent CID student. So maybe um, start with maybe your first semester and how many yeah. how many classes did you typically take or is it less academia at that time? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know if I can remember the exact amount of classes, but I know it was fewer and oh. I know they were less like content-based. Okay. Um, so it was more application so for instance like supervision and consultation is a class where you supervise a second year student and you start a consultation project somewhere in the community um so that you can grow your consultation skills um so yeah that one's definitely a more application type of class um but yeah i remember being much more hands-off when it comes to classwork unless um you weren't able to finish your electives um, in time for fourth year, then you would have an elective as well, and then it might be a little more content heavy. Okay. Um, but yeah, other than that, most of my time went to either that consultation project, um, my practicum site, because at that point, um, you only have up until November 1st to get all your hours um, for APIC, so oh. the, the internship matching. Um, so it's just trying to get as many hours as you possibly can um, in, in that time frame um, at your practicum site. And I guess your consultation project could, could go to that as well. Okay. Um, but that and then applying for internships. So lots of essay reviews um, and editing, lots of cover letters. Um, to type and then to edit um, because the essays stay the same for every single site. So you have four sets of essays and they go to everybody. Um, But then you have a cover letter that's unique to each site. Mm. Um, And the four essays can technically be different if you want them to for each site, but it's not typical, I'd say. Um, So yeah, lots of editing. And And how many sites did you apply to? um 24 i believe yeah somewhere around that 25 range yeah um and regent requires you to apply to 15. okay um after that 15 you have to start paying extra to apply to the site um it's like an extra 
$30 for each one, I think, uh -huh. just as a heads up. <laughs> yeah. And so when, when you calculated it and you, you applied to extra and were willing mm -hmm. to pay for that, mm -hmm. uh, was that just as like a security blanket or was it yeah, kind of? Yeah, it, it was definitely a security blanket. I was one of those people that thought for sure I wasn't going to match or at least not match to a site that I wanted to match at. Uh -huh. um, and I also had a couple of sites on there that Dr. Baum, our training director, uh -huh. was like, no, this can't count as your 15 because no one ever gets interviews there. Uh -huh. kind of thing. Um, so then I had to apply to a couple more. Okay. Um, but for the most part, um, it was just... I felt more comfortable yeah. um, applying to more sites. And where on the list did you get accepted? My first one. Oh, Alex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the one that I wanted, I it's actually, um, I'm very thankful that I got that one. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't know. I don't think I knew that you got accepted to your first one. So congratulations. I didn't. Oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, but yeah, so. After that fall semester, though, of all the applications, uh -huh. um, it typically starts in December where you start having your interviews. Um, so then it's just interview after interview. This year, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we um, they were all virtual for most of us. Okay. Well. And because of that, I would go see a client and then hop on to an interview right after my client left <laughs> or the other way around. Um, so all of my responsibilities continued while mm. I also had to um, have these mm. interviews. Whereas so. normally you might have flown to Dallas or wherever. Right. And then oh. it's that set amount of time. It's just like you and that interview. Uh -huh. um, but there are pros and cons because they don't have to pay for all the flights. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. It was a tough um December, January, and February, th those three months. Okay. And then what, so in February, is that when you found out where you got accepted? Yep. Um, so I think it was the second Friday in February is when we found out. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that was, it was just downhill from there. As soon as <laughs> I found out, it was suddenly like practicum didn't matter anymore. <laughs> Classes didn't matter anymore. Uh -huh. um, and I've had the best time of my life at Regent during that spring and summer <laughs> semester. Great, great, great. Yeah, yeah. I bet you were just ecstatic. Yeah, I was very happy. It's like the only way um, forward is to keep on going. And mm. there's no Regent to hold me back at that point. So mm. very good times. And what about, um, what did dissertation look like all, through all of this? Yeah, so that's a great point. So uh, we're required to propose by the end of third year. I think you're required. Um, I did. Um, I proposed back in April of third year. Okay. And um, then they want you to defend your dissertation pretty much by that time of fourth year. Uh -huh. um, my dissertation chair like didn't didn't have much like um, pressing needs i guess it's like we get it done we get it done as long as it's done by the time that the deadline's done it's done yeah. um so at that point she she's also my mentor which i'm very blessed to have her as my mentor um and she helped me with all of my applications mm -hmm. and 
anytime that I wasn't in class or doing TA stuff or in at practicum, I was with her working on internship applications wow. or preparing for interviews. <laughs> so a lot of that. Um, and then we started collecting data, well, continuing to collect data in spring of my fourth year. And now we're bringing the data together and then we're obviously writing the, the rest of the dissertation. And so okay. the results and the discussions. Um, so my plan currently is to defend in late of November okay. or early December. Yeah. And what is your what is your dissertation topic on? Um, so it's looking at trauma and its impact on a parent and the child um, and their relationship together. Um, yeah. So in general, that's what we're looking at. Good. Good. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't really get to do their dissertation in line with their interests, which makes it so much more cumbersome. So that's good that you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine doing all that research on something that's not really <laughs> interesting to you. Yeah. And you, so through all of that, you also were a teacher's assistant. Mm -hmm. And were you, did you start being a teacher's assistant your second year? I did. You did it second, third, and fourth? I did. Um, so it, it was the assessment courses, so intelligence testing, um, personality assessment, and then their practicum student class to introduce students in the second year. Okay. I just talked with uh, a first, first year, Susma, a couple of weeks ago, and we mm -hmm. talked about how assessment courses, they're, they're one of the most rewarding. Uh, you learn mm -hmm. some of the most in those classes. They also yeah. take the most time and they're the most difficult. Yeah. Um, so um, what, in, what went into your decision to help teach for those? Yeah, well, initially, um, I wanted to be a TA for Dr. Chateau in my second year, and then she ended up leaving, so that wasn't an option. So yeah, I thought, right. okay, I just won't be a TA, whatever. Um, and then that's when Dr. Baum contacted me and asked if I would be willing to be the assessment TA. And at this point, I was just honored and shocked because <laughs> I thought I was horrible in assessment at this point, uh -huh. um, which is interesting. I actually just talked with Catherine, who's a okay. colleague of mine for now a fifth year in internship. Uh -huh. um, and we were talking about how so often people come out of the assessment courses and they're like, I'm so bad at assessment. Um, and we realized it's because of all the negative feedback that mm -hmm. the students get because we're trying to, um, I don't know, give constructive criticism to help them grow. Mm -hmm. And with all the time it takes to give that feedback, um, it seems like there's very little positive. Mm. Um, and we were just talking about how important it is that we need to be sticking in positive things all the time. Um, so people don't just think, I'm bad at assessment. Don't, don't let me do that. Mm. Um, that's a very so, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, that's how I got into it was by Dr. Baum asking. Um, and then I just enjoyed teaching, um, I guess. I wasn't, I'm not the best teacher, I'd say, but I have fun helping people understand something. Okay. Um, and then that just kept me going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, cause so I TA'd for that class for one, for one year and I had enough, but, um, 
No, I just figured yeah. I would do other things instead, like this, you know. Um, yeah, that's good. But yeah, I, with the feedback, um, most of our time, most of our time and energy was spent giving constructive criticism and not a whole lot of positivity. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot of time those classes took. Mm. Um, yeah. So I applaud you for opening up your mind to other opportunities to. Um, yeah, that's something that's probably one of my biggest regrets is spending my time doing more of the TA stuff for those classes versus um, exploring other opportunities. It takes so much time. I mean, look, the contract for a week is what, 15 hours, but you spend probably way more than that. I think it's 10 hours a week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yes, way more time than that. Um, yeah. Crazy. But. And so, so you, now you're at, you said CHKD? Um, no. No, sorry. No. What was it? So CHKD is in Chesapeake, Virginia, oh. Norfolk, oh. somewhere. Yeah. Oh. So I'm at LSU. LSU. Their health sciences center um, in New Orleans. So there's like the hospital and lots of different um, fellows and residents from different medical um, fields and then we have our psychology interns so that's where I'm at now okay yeah and then um, what is it that you plan on after this year do you already have a plan of kind of are you gonna go right into a postdoc or are you gonna yes what's your plan then? I will be going into a postdoc for several reasons so some states require a postdoc in order for you to be licensed oh um, so if you're yeah, yeah. Um, so Virginia, I don't believe requires one. I don't quote me on that, but I don't think so. However, if you get licensed in Virginia and then want to move to Tennessee, then you can't be licensed in Tennessee without having proof of that postdoc wow. or supervised experience beyond internship. Uh -huh. um, so that's one reason I want to do postdoc. Uh -huh. The second reason is for specialty purposes. Um, so I can be a clinical psychologist once I get my license, um, but I can't be a specialist in child psychology unless I go through that postdoc. Okay. Um, so it's a way to get your um, specialty credentials as well. Okay. And where do you yeah. plan on doing your postdoc? Right now I'm hoping here at okay. LSU. Um, they tend to keep their postdocs um, even or their interns even into employment. Um, so, so that's what I will be praying for, but they have to like me. <laughs> um, so, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, um, oh, and, and then after the post, so what is, what is your kind of ultimate goal? Yeah. Um, so I still have lots of ideas. Um, I, I do think I want to end up um, where I am now, like in a medical school, not necessarily LSU, um, but that way I can work directly with students, both interns, postdocs, and um, practicum students. Okay. So I can be a supervisor and a mentor, but not have to deal with the academic side, uh -huh. um, like of the courses, uh -huh. rather just investing in their professional development and their clinical um, abilities. Hmm. So I, I really like the idea of that because then I can be that and I can be a clinician still and work with families. Yeah. Um, and it's multiple hats too. So it's therapy, it's assessment and working with the court system. Um, 
So I don't know. I just, I really enjoy it so far. Yeah. So I imagine I'll try to get in a place like that. Yeah. It sounds like that's a, a big value for you to be kind of a teacher mentor. So yeah, it yeah. is really important to me because I know however many of us there are now, it's awesome that we can help people and provide services. Uh-huh. Um, but how much cooler to be able to keep that going after all of us um, <laughs> are at our end of time. So, um, yeah. yeah. And it's just important to me to provide quality care. Um, mm-hmm. So being able to make sure that that's taking place too is key yeah yeah Yeah. and do you plan on staying within the age range of zero to five um i hope so some of it i i do think i'll work with all kinds of children probably up till age of 12. i'll be open to other ages as well but that's where i really just that's where my passion is i guess um the school age kids and preschoolers and toddlers do you do much assessment where you're going to be at, where you're at this year? Yeah, definitely. So we'll do all kinds of assessment and it does include like children all the way up to adolescents. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll have assessment for the infants that's like um, cognitive testing uh-huh. and um, like attachment interviews oh. to see how they're relating the caregivers. Um, and then you'll have you'll, your typical like cognitive batteries, um, achievement, um, autism, all, all of those things, trauma. Um, so I'll get lots of that, but I also have a special elective um, that is a school-based consultation and intervention um, elective. So in that one, we do lots of assessment as well that's school-based, and we write it up in a way that makes sure that it's approved by the school's rules um, to make sure that the kid can get the IEP or the 504 plan that they need. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then last, so I was talking, so I talked with Susma and I also spoke with uh, a second and then a third year, Jeff and Pete. And kind of a common theme um, so far has been, you know, we as therapists, we want to help other people, but Mm -hmm. what happens when you're the one who needs help? And then um, a lot of times people come you know, straight out of undergrad and they come here to a doctoral program and mm-hmm. it's um, high stakes, high stress. And oh. so kind of, you sound like you've been extremely busy since you, since you it all began. And yeah. especially with your extra, the extra load as a TA. And um, so what kind of advice do you have for people coping with the stressors of a grad school program? Yeah, so I will say up until spring semester this year, so fourth year spring after I matched, up until that point, it was day in, day out from like 8 a.m. we started, 9, 10 p.m. when I ended. Um, it, I mean, it's a lot that our students go through, and it's constant. Like, there, there's not really a break away from it. Uh-huh. Um, even on our breaks, we're trying to... Um, catch up on assignments and Mm -hmm. make sure we have our plans for our clients and all all kinds of stuff. Um, So it it is very chaotic. And I remember my first year and second year, I was bad. Like I was not in a good state. Um, I think one thing that was helpful to me is when someone told me, like, you're, you're actually not 
the only one kind of thing. So mm. I remember when I first had to start taking antidepressants, for mm. instance, and I found out like the majority of our program was on antidepressants. Wow. And I thought, okay, well, that makes me feel better that I'm not alone. Uh -huh. But also, this is a problem. <laughs> like, we cannot all be needing antidepressants. Like, there's some point where biologically, sure, like, there are people that absolutely need that. Yeah. Um, but, but when it comes down to, like, the majority of our mm. program needing mm. it, it's concerning. Um, mm. So, finally, off of those, which is, like, um, praise the Lord kind of thing. Good. But I, I think it was really because of the chaos of everything and then only getting negative feedback all the time. Mm. Um, and it's just hard to keep going. So uh -huh. something can I, I, sorry, yeah. can I ask, um, had you ever taken antidepressants before the grad program? No. Okay. Mm -mm. okay. No, I was never on any type of medication really right. before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, if you would have asked me before, I would have told you I was completely against them. Um, yeah, so that if that tells you how bad it got, yeah. um, like it was to the point where I would just be laying on the floor and like not moving, and mm. my husband would have to come like help me, um, like just get in the bed. So not not great times. Yeah. Um, I'm glad so, you're I'm glad you're off of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me too. And I, I think it really talks or stands to the point that. Regent needs to do better mm. um, at supporting their students in a positive way. Yeah. Um, it's not their responsibility for me to take care of myself, but mm. positive feedback is not that hard to give. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, I learned over time that I'm not just a student and I don't want to be just a student, mm. um, but if that's the mindset in the program, then you will just be a student and um, then it's like this idea that you have to be perfect in everything and then in order to match an internship you have to be like amazing and do all of these things and never say no and I just think that's not true um, especially now looking back on it it's not true um, so being able to take on my different identities um, I really let friends like go to the wayside um, so even now it's an important to me to actually reach out and have phone conversations with people. Um, okay. So staying socially connected is one of those things okay. that I think is important. Um, especially me as an introverted person, I didn't like to do that. And the more depressed I got, the worse mm. it got. Yeah. Um, but really it's what I needed in order to help myself keep going. Mm. Um, and then doing things that are enjoyable for yourself um, like I got here at LSU and I read a book. It was just like a random fictional romance. Um, okay. so I read this book and it was amazing and it made my heart so happy. <laughs> um, and it was something I hadn't done this entire four years. Mm. So being able to just, um, prioritize that time for yourself too. And be like, it's okay if I don't go to this class this one day or this research group um, or if I need to cancel my clients for the day as long as they're still being you know uh -huh. taken care of uh -huh. but yeah it, it's been a, a journey and it, it's hard and it, it's hard to explain that to like a first year too because I mean they're, they're coming in and they do have that mindset that I have to be perfect and everything uh -huh. and me even telling them that on this end 
would be hard for them to understand because everybody else is telling them, no, you have to do all these things. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a hard time. I, I, um, there's no way that you can answer this accurately, but you mentioned mm -hmm. you wish you would have done some things differently now, now knowing what you know. Um, mm -hmm. How much do you think you could have dropped or said no to and still gotten your number one pick for internship? Yeah, yeah see, it, and that's hard because it's, you know, totally hypothetical. Yeah. Um, and your imagination. Yeah. So I think I could have been a TA one year and okay. left it at that. Okay. Uh, I don't think the time of being a TA mattered. Okay. It was just the experience itself that mattered. Um, I don't think that my research groups mattered. As a matter of fact, when I went and talked to my mentor as I was writing all the essays and, oh, the curriculum vita, editing uh -huh. that, she was like, you don't want all these research groups on here because then they're going to think that you can't be dedicated to one thing. Mm. Um, you're, you're just like a little bit in here and there, but mm. you're not all in one. Uh -huh. um, so like wow. forgetting all of those like because I was in some just because I thought I needed to be wow. it wasn't that I had any interest I mean there was some interest but yeah. not like yeah I want to do this um so letting go of those uh -huh. and maybe just being a part of one um would be a huge thing saying no to more cases like when I have five to eight cases which is like what we should have uh -huh. that should be enough i shouldn't be saying yeah give me that other one because i want that experience too mm -hmm. um there are times where if it's something that you really really want to work with then sure like have that case on but otherwise just for another case like to put on your um eight happy thing like don't don't do it <laughs> don't do it to yourself it's not worth it um so those are some things that stand out. That's very good. That's very helpful. And it, it also stands out. You, you, one of the big things you mentioned was make sure to stay social, even if you're an introvert. Uh, yeah. Maybe just find the one person that you can. Uh, right. So a common theme that I have found in my just one year so far of seeing clients is people who are people. One of the main things that they're coming for is that they're isolated and one of the things that we try to do is get them plugged back into their social group or right. see who they could talk to and see who they could share with their life with, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It takes some force, like even for myself to do it. Like, I know I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this, but I know like I need it for my soul um, <laughs> to, to have another person to talk to um, and to hear their stories and to uplift them. It's just, I don't know. It's so important. And it's easy to think it's not whenever you're depressed and in the middle of grad school. Yeah. And you're, yeah, it's because you're so busy and, and it's, yeah. it's just, it's almost a chore or a task. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and especially when you're feeling depressed, that's just another thing. That's just, that's another thing that I have to do. And I'm oh already so overwhelmed and you start thinking of it that way instead of, yeah. Thinking how beneficial that might be. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I just I wish the best for all of our upcoming mm. students, and I'm just hoping it's better. Yeah. yeah. I hope so too, and I hope that I, you know, I hope that people can, they'll reach out to people like you or people like me who have kind of 
who are, have been through some of it or have talked to people who have yeah. been through it. And, and yeah, definitely. maybe we'll start implementing more positive feedback. We should. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> we, we like need to. Mm -hmm. um, it's past the point of should, really. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's kind of all the questions that I had for you. Thank you for <gasps> meeting with me. It's been super um, informative and beneficial. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for asking me. I feel honored that you want to talk to me about my <laughs> oh, experience. <laughs> um, okay. um, let me...